What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode seven of Dime Dropper. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe on all social media platforms and follow us at Dime Dropper Pod on Twitter and Instagram, as well as to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify. For today's episode, I am joined by a very special guest, also one of my great friends from way, way back, the host of Locked On Badgers and contributor at the Badgers Wire for USA Today, my good friend, Asher Lowe. Ash, how are we doing, buddy? We're good. I never get to talk about the NBA in my work, even though it's my favorite thing in the entire world. So I'm just grateful I get the opportunity to talk NBA basketball on a podcast for once. Favorite thing over college, though? Oh, uh, no, no, no. Actually, I've always said in my life that those are at the same tier, both, both tier one for me. College basketball and, and the NBA and the NBA I'd put tied at the top, but the NBA is right there. And especially right now, obviously, we only have one going on. So the NBA is obviously my front and center focus right now. But you're right. I put college basketball up there, Pepperdine basketball specifically at the top. Yes, sir. And uh, before we start going into you and what you're doing, let's just talk about what just happened. So the Blazers, um, I know you've always been a nice Blazers sympathizer. You have family in Oregon. You've been to the Rose Garden a couple times. And you've been, you know, even since the Brandon Roy days, I remember, you know, in elementary school, you went to um, went to Portland and were telling me about how great of an experience it was. So them getting in over Memphis, what do you think about that? And how do you think this Blazers-Lakers series uh, lines up? I'm really happy for this Blazers team. They absolutely deserved it. We saw the bubble goat, Damian Lillard. I'm putting him over Devin Booker for that award. Damian Lillard absolutely went off in the bubble. But then it was CJ McCollum who stepped up. Two mid-major guards, which is a lot of fun for me as a huge mid-major college basketball fan. Lehigh, Weber State. Murray State represent with John Moran on the other side. We got all mid-major talent all across the board with Memphis and Portland, and it was a lot of fun. You know who else, speaking of mid-majors, went off? My guy Brandon Clark had a big game out of Gonzaga. So it was a mid-major fest in this one. High scoring, as I expected. I think we all expected, given the Blazers' struggles defensively and Memphis's fast pace. We expected this to be in the 120s. It was. And, man, CJ McCollum at the end. You sometimes forget how great of a closer he is in his own right, and he showed it in this one. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about a guy um, or so, seeing your um, interview with Colby Ross talking about McCollum and Dame, who he looks up to guys that can score from anywhere on the court, all three levels, not just the three ball. He can hit floaters. He hits mid ranges for days. I mean, the guy is extremely hard to guard. And, you know, one of the better one-on-one players I think we got in the game today. I love talking about all three levels. And that's something that CJ McCollum does really well as a scorer. His mid range game is top of the league, if not the best in the league. I know our friend will, in our group chat, Will, who plays at Oregon, said that he thinks CJ has the best flow game and best balance in the NBA. I'd agree with that as well. He has so many different moves in his arsenal that a lot of other guys, D, don't have today. Like, like that off-balance kind of leaner. Like that mid-range game. Like that in-your-face mid-range fader. A lot of guys don't have that in their games, and CJ does. And you mentioned Colby Ross, Pepperdine point guard, one of the best players in the country who really looks up to guys like CJ and Dame that you can tell. You watch CJ and Dame, and you can tell with them how much of it is all work. It is yep. just repetition and work. The stuff they do, the footwork, the finishing, the, the shot making from 35 feet for Dame, looking like a 20-footer when he just pulls up and flicks the wrist. Man, time and time again, these guys have put in the work, and it shows on the biggest stage. And what do you think of – so why we, we've talked about this before, but I want to hear your answer here on Dime Dropper is what do you, CJ's never been an all-star, clearly because the West is so talented and has been that way for, like, basically our whole time watching basketball. But – what do you think CJ is lacking 
for, in terms of why he doesn't average like at least like, you know, 25 points a game. Do you think it's because Dame's on his team and that's kind of where he should fall as the second scorer around that 22 points a game mark? Do you think he could be doing more? Do you think he's going to keep getting better? What do you think about that? Why do you think he can't elevate it to one of the top 10 PPG in the league? It's a hard question because like you watch him and like I just raving about, he basically has all the tools you want in a great score, in, in a leading score for a, a great team. He can score all three levels. He's uh, great off the dribble. He's great catch and shoot. He, he does all those things really well. I think one thing D is his height. He's not a true point guard. He's, he's more of a true off guard. And if he was 6'6", six, six, he's 6'3". Six, if he had two, three more inches, he, he all of a sudden is a much different athletic specimen on the court than a 6'3 guard that isn't the fastest player in the world, can't jump the highest, right? His athleticism isn't at the level of other guys, but his skill level is basically beyond. I can't even think of a guy and I know this sounds maybe crazy, but I can't think of a guy, maybe 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 two or three guys that I put above him in terms of just skill, offensive skill. Who has the bag? Like like who is putting the hours in the gym, uh, the footwork, the balance stuff I was talking about before. But his height is something I think that holds him back. His overall athleticism, he just and you can't really teach all of that. I mean, you can get better at it. You can't teach height, obviously, but you can get better as a leaper, as uh, kind of a fast twitch first step guy. Then you watch like John Morant, right? Like he just has it. Like yeah. he, didn't, he didn't just, uh, you know, work on that first step. Like that, that is God-given ability. I, I mean, that, that's, that's crazy stuff. So CJ, I think the athleticism and the height holds him back. But boy, as a skilled scorer, I can't think of anybody better. Maybe hard. Funny, funny you mentioned the, uh, the height. I mean, on TV, he looks like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, but he's really not that tall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he, he doesn't look big. And he doesn't really impose his will physically. Like you never really think of him as a physical player. He's not afraid of contact or anything. Yeah, he's pretty built. That. He's pretty built. You know, he's not soft and he's not, not strong. I mean, he's a pretty strong guy, but he doesn't really blow you away ever with anything athletic. It's almost always skill-based and yeah. you can't really get to, to get to the next level. You're talking about a guy the, where you combine the skill and you combine the athleticism. And that is how you get a superstar, right? Like a Kawhi, like a LeBron. That's how you get the next level superstar. So I think CJ will always be, a great player. I don't know if he'll be that next level superstar that leads a team in scoring. Do you think that he will end up making the all-star team when it's all said and done? That I think is more about the West than about yeah. CJ. I don't think with Dame on his team, he's going to have like some crazy statistical year. Like I don't think he's going to go for 30 all of a sudden one year, you know, he can on a team that would win like 25 games. Like, we've seen it happen with other guys where they go for great statistical seasons. Like for example, Devonte Graham, who I love and I loved this year. Me too. He had some issues. Like his efficiency was pretty awful. I think he shot like 36% like in total from the field. So his efficiency was terrible. He made some big shots, made some big plays, but he took this huge jump and his team didn't really win games because he didn't have anybody on that team. Imagine putting CJ on that team and the, and the stats he'd put up, right? They probably wouldn't win that many more games, but I don't see CJ putting up any crazy stats with Dame in his backcourt. And like you said, the West is so good. You said it best. I mean, the West is just too deep. Yeah, and I, honestly, on Devontae, I think it's kind of interesting because I remember I was so big on him to start the year. And I think his problem was, like, in the beginning of the season, teams didn't have Devontae Graham really on their scouting reports. And then once people started realizing, like, yo, this guy can play, started honing in on him more, give him a little more pressure, realizing, you know, this is one of the guys we need to stop. And I think that his numbers took a dip as a result. And you know where you see that the most? Situations like that is in baseball. You'll see a guy come up a star prospect. Yasiel Puig is a great example. Yeah. Came up and just started going nuts because nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew how to pitch to him. And baseball, even more than basketball, is all scouting report, right? Like a pitcher will have a scouting report for every single person. If a pinch hitter comes in, you literally almost always see a mound visit to talk about how they're going to approach that hitter. And it's similar in basketball 
where you have to know exactly how to defend a guy. It's one of the things that's hard about pickup basketball. We talk about sometimes like, should I guard this guy close? Like, I don't know if he can shoot or not. Like that's one of the things you get when you play pickup all the time because you're guarding people who you don't know and never seen play. And in baseball, like I said, literally the scouting report is life or death for an MLB team. And when you haven't pitched to a guy ever, it's a lot different versus having, you know, pitched to him 50 times and he's in your division. It's a lot different. And like you said, Devontae was a good example of that. Nobody really knew who he was. And he was a mid-major guy before Kansas. Been a mid-major guy. Actually had an Appalachian State offer, I remember. It was his only offer. And then went to prep school and then got into Kansas. So crazy story for him. And he is – I almost think of him as another mid-major guard, even though he isn't, because that was the level he was at before he went to prep school. But, yeah, I think, I think it is scouting report a lot of the time. And so let's get into you now. I mean, you're someone who obviously we had um, a Facebook page, Real Talk Basketball. We used to always do playoff previews. We used to always be into, you know, basketball and talking about it and the announcers and all these little things. So what made you kind of, you know, you went to Wisconsin and you were a political science major. So what made you want to start being like, oh, maybe like, you know, what I love so much, this is what I want to do forever instead of what you thought you wanted to do? D, it wasn't a basketball game. It wasn't a baseball game. We don't have football Wisconsin. It wasn't a football game. It was a soccer game. My first ever game I called in college. I had called games in high school. It had been fun, but it had been a hobby. And then I went to school and I said, all right, I'm going to hit the books. My dad's telling me, you know, you got you to take like, an academic major. You got to do something where you can go to grad school, all this stuff, yada, yada, yada. I get to school. I spent my first year grinding in the political world, you know, doing an internship in, in politics that freshman year not exactly being in sports beyond being a fan. I, I was basically a fan. You know, I went to every game. I had season tickets for football games. I didn't even go to every basketball game that year. We were really bad. And I was pretty busy with other things with fraternity and stuff. So we were terrible that year. And I actually only went to like three or four home basketball games. I, I was not fully invested in sports anymore. And I didn't know that the opportunity existed to call games. And then I got to school sophomore year. And I found this program through Big Ten Network called BTN Plus, where they let students not only call the games, the direct produce like we do everything camera it's basically a 100% student run product not even basically it is 100% student run I get there I find this program I get put on a soccer game literally my first month back sophomore year I spend about 10 minutes in the booth calling that soccer game and boom light bulb goes off I have to do this for the rest of my life but it's just there's nothing fun like this for me nothing gives me this kind of joy it wasn't a great game it was like a one nothing Wisconsin loss a men's game. Our men's team's not great. There were no fans there. And yet still, this light bulb goes off my head. Like, this is the most fun I've had in a year and a half since I was calling games at Harvard-Westlake, since I was covering basketball in Los Angeles uh, in high school, PA announcing and play-by-play. This is the most fun I've ever had since then. And the rest is history. And that's an awesome story. You know, I would encourage anyone out there listening, like, do what speaks to you. If you love doing it, pursue it. Because, I know, you know, you and I are just getting started right now. But uh, I'm confident in both of our futures because I know that, one, we put in the time and work to somewhat know what we're talking about. We both played basketball. I'm going to get into that later when it comes to actual experiences on the court together. And uh, more than anything, you love it and you're passionate about it. And, I, and it's been like that since you, when I met you when we were eight years old. So it's a lifelong passion. And that, that's a lot deeper than, you know, just finding something, you know, even, even just to start college. Like, when you've loved something for so long, like it really speaks to you. So I want to go to, so Locked On is, you know, a pretty popular podcasting network. They have a branch for most teams in college or professional. So how did that start? I mean, that was very random. I just heard all of a sudden now you're 
you know, start, uh, we're working as the guy for Locked On Badgers. How did that start? So I spent all this time on Twitter. And when I started it, it was like a year and a half ago, I made a Twitter account pretty late into the game. I had no followers. I had like 50 followers for like the first eight months on Twitter, right? And periodically, I would just post on Twitter. I wouldn't really go on that much. And now I go on it like 18 million times a day. It's like my favorite website in the world, whatever. But I would go on it periodically, post some podcasts I was doing for WSUM, which is our student radio station. And I was the sports director there last year for student radio. So I'd post some podcasts and whatnot there. And all of a sudden, I get a DM. And I had like 60 followers. I get a DM from this guy saying, hey, we love your stuff for WSUM. Would you be willing to give us a call? We're with the Lockdown Podcast Network. I said, sure, well, sure. I mean, I've never gotten anything like this. I was pretty excited. So I give them a call and boom, I start locked on badges for them. They had heard some of my WSUM stuff. And through Twitter, I actually started that. And actually, funny enough, through Twitter, I also got my USA Today gig. So Twitter, for sports media people out there, young sports media people, you're not wasting your time on Twitter. Like if you gain a bunch of followers, if you have people that listen to you and follow you on Twitter and are liking your stuff, retweeting your stuff, even if you don't have a lot of followers, like I said, I had 70 followers when I was posting stuff. You should get your work out there. It's a great way to just post stuff, free environment, to put whatever you want out there. And people will listen if it's good. People will notice eventually if you keep doing it. And it's really funny because, you know, you always talk about like today's society and like just being on your phone too much. And I used to, I remember you used to be actually too good about this where you would never check your phone. I'd be like, Ash, you don't fucking answer your phone. And uh, I didn't like, have a phone. I didn't have a phone in like fucking seventh grade. It was like, it was like, it was like fucking seventh or eighth grade. I didn't have a phone. And it, it was good. I mean, it's kind of good that you were taking in the experience that you were in. And like now I've gotten yeah. to the point where I'm, I'm almost, I'm so mad at myself because I'm on my phone sometimes too much. But when Man. you say things like that, it's like before, it's like you're just wasting time and killing brain cells on your phone. Now you're getting jobs on your phone. It's just so crazy. Literally. Like, like I'm wasting time on Twitter a lot of the time. I'm not going to lie. Like 80% of the time I go on the app, I don't do shit. But that other 20% of the time, I've actually been networking. I've built some followers. I've made some relationships through Twitter. It's a great resource for any young sports media member. Yeah, and so, so how do you enjoy it? How has Locked on Badgers been? How do you like the podcasting game as opposed to the play-by-play game? I know that's always been your favorite. Like, what do, you, what do you end up seeing yourself doing? What's the dream? And what do you think of what you're doing so far and what makes you realize what your dream is? Part of Locked on has been getting recruits on and talking to them. So this is 10th, 11th graders usually who have either already committed to Wisconsin or are in discussions to commit to Wisconsin. We're in their final four or five schools or whatever, and I'll get them on, and we just talk. We, we, we just have fun. I mean, one of the best things about Lockdown for me interviewing those recruits is that I'm 21, right? So are you, D. And when you're talking to a 17-year-old, 16-year-old, as a media professional, usually you're not talking to a 21-year-old if you're them. You're usually talking to like a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old, right? It's not, not that same level of connection. Versus when I've had these younger kids on, and I'm a – kid just out of college myself mm-hmm. it's a lot more free-flowing it's a lot more just let's talk instead of I'm going to ask you all these prepared questions and it's gonna be very official and you don't say the wrong thing you know this is a big deal whatever no it's just two guys having a conversation and that's I think my best episodes have been that and I've learned that throughout the, the way I never I never used to be a guy that was very natural on the air I used to be this is my play I play too I used to come on the air and just be a little bit too in a box what I mean by that is like I was trying to be Mike Breen right? I was trying to be Kevin Harlan. I was trying to be the guys, Ralph Lawler, that I grew up listening to. And suddenly I realized, wait, that's actually bad because I'll never be as good as Mike Breen at doing what Mike Breen does. Like if I say bang, it's going to sound 8 million times worse than Mike Breen ever. <laughs> if I say bingo, it's going to sound way worse than Ralph Lawler, right? So I got to be my own thing. 
And that's been a good journey for me in podcasting is learning how to find my own voice. Because I go back and listen to episodes like eight months ago and I was terrible. I was, I was, I was talking in that kind of monotone, like not really my voice, not really any inflection to it. Just trying to be the announcer that gives you the news for locked on Badgers. Do you like, I can do yeah, the voice. I can already, dude, I was about to say, I can already tell the difference when I listened to your interview with Colby and like recent, more recent episodes, you sound a lot more like the Ash I know when we talk in person as opposed to sounding that. very professional. That has been 100% my goal through this process to learn how to lose my professionalism, which sounds weird. But the first criticism I got from Locked On was, Asher, you're too smooth. Like, this sounds too rehearsed. And that was something I needed to learn and get through. And that's something a lot of young broadcasters do that I still do all the time, where I'm sounding rehearsed. I'm sounding like I'm reading a prepared speech, like at the Rose Garden, like on the President of the United States. Like, it's not professional. It's not, well, not this president, but we're not going to talk about that right now. But it's not professional. It, it, it's more fun. And that, that's what, that's what good podcasting is and, and good play that play too. Play that play is the same way. Like you're telling a story, right? It's not professional. It's not cookie cutter. It's not, you have to do say this, this time it's, it's very just feeling and live. And yes, preparation is a huge part of it. Like my prep for play that play is everything. If I don't prep well, I have a bad game every time, no matter what. Yet if I'm rehearsed and I'm in that box that I used to be in, I sound bad. So that's something that I've worked on to get to my dreams, my future. I really want to be in play that play. That's my number one uh, goal. NBA college basketball will be my top priority being in play that play for those sports. I'd love to do soccer. I'd love to do football. I'd love to do baseball. So, and I'm working on volleyball right now. I'm actually studying volleyball a little bit and trying to add that to my repertoire because I was watching Wisconsin volleyball a lot last year. They were a ton of fun, made it to the national championship. So trying to just be as versatile as I can and waiting for, sports to start back up at high school and college levels so I can get some reps. Yeah. And also I think there's a level of, um, you know, even though with play by play, it's definitely like right now we're just kind of talking, there's no like time limit or there's no, you know, we don't have to say anything right now, for example, but with play by play, it's still, you know, you still do have to have that level of like, you know, you have to describe the game. You need to be, it's live, you know, it's, there's no, you know, you mess up. Everyone hears it as opposed to now I mess up. We can just edit it out. Like, so there is that, you know, to some extent, there are different, definitely just some differences between the podcasting and the, and the play-by-play games. Like, for example, if you were to put, like, I, I think it would sound a little bit weird, too, if you get, like, Ralph Lawler and put him in a podcast, and be like, hi, welcome to the bingo podcast. Like, exactly. just, you'd have that play-by-play voice yeah. kind of stuck in your head. So it'd be hard. I, I can see why it'd be hard to adjust in the beginning. It's a little different, no doubt. And I think we talk about, you and I have talked a lot about over the last few months, the NBA evolving, right, and changing and the evolution of the game and stuff. Play that play has evolved immensely. Like, it's a totally different thing now. So if you watch a game from 1975, right, and we've done a lot of that over this break. We've watched a lot of full games with, full, with announcers. Back in the day, they're great announcers, right? Dick Stockton, Brent Musburger, legends that actually, those, those two guys happen to still be around. So these guys have called games for like 40 years. Versus a, a guy like Kevin Harlan, a Mike Breen. Kevin Harlan actually describes the game really, really well and is almost always focused on the game, which is actually more rare for today's play by play for the distinction I'm getting to. But back in the day, it was a lot more, you have to do these certain things, right? And this is the model we want, and we want you to sound like this. And today, it's almost like a podcast on the air sometimes. Like, they, they veer off a lot more. It's more of a funny conversation, cracking jokes with a two-color guys. And you're not even talking about the game in the second quarter, like eight minutes past in the second quarter on a TV broadcast, and they've mentioned the game like twice. You've seen this stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, like, Mike Breen, like, Jeff Van Gundy, yeah. and Mark Jackson are just yeah, it's, messing around a lot, too. It's entertaining. I'm not saying it's like bad, but I, I would say like play that play has changed a little bit too. And I sort of maybe thought there was only one good way 
to do it. And Mike Breen's still a legend. I mean, when he calls games, he's incredible. Uh, but I thought there was one way to do it, and it's evolved, just like basketball. There's multiple ways to be great at it. And the key is everyone just has their own style. Like when you turn on the TV, I've heard this from a couple of professionals, and I really take this advice to heart. So it's not my advice, but I pass it on to any young broadcaster or podcaster. When you turn on the TV, you should know within three seconds that that's Asher Lowe. Like, that's Kevin Harlan. That's Mike Breen. And with the great ones, you can always tell immediately, you're like, oh, that's Kevin Harlan. He's on this game. Let's go. Because he has that just distinct, like, that is him, you know? Yep, definitely. And uh, so now we'll segue into something that we used to do all the time. I want to do it now to, you know, a larger audience and a more official platform. We're going to talk about some playoff previews, something we've had been doing for years. I definitely don't want to spend too much time on some of the smaller series, so uh, we're just going to go quick. You want to talk uh, Bucks and Magic for like 30 minutes now? No, definitely not. Bucks and Magic. I know you said you've been watching randomly because you've been making a lot of bets on Magic. I'm not going to get into the Magic games thing. Yeah, we, we don't have to talk about that much. Continue. What's, the, what's your prediction for the series then, Milwaukee? Milwaukee hasn't looked that good in this bubble, though. You, have, you can't lie. You're absolutely right, D. That, that's, that's why this is Sweep City. Uh, this series will be over really quick. Blink your eyes, 4 nothing. This series is over. No Jonathan Isaac. I, I don't see the Magic just having – the offense to even keep up with Milwaukee in one game. I think most of the wins will be double-digit wins. And you don't even think with Milwaukee not really playing even close to their best basketball, Orlando could steal one maybe? Steal one if Milwaukee's not at their best? Maybe, yeah, because Orlando's defense is really good, and it's legit good. Still with this group, it's good. The problem for the Magic is that there's always a period of the game when I've watched them. Like I said, I've watched them a lot this year, more than most uh, random L.A. basketball fans definitely have. I've watched them a lot. Maybe the and, most. <laughs> yeah, probably, the, probably more than anybody in the city of Los Angeles, to be perfectly honest. Uh, they just go through these stretches, man, where they can't score the ball. Like, like, they cannot score the ball. If Vooch isn't hitting threes, if Evan Fournier is not hitting threes off of screens, if Markel Fultz uh, can't really get into the lane much, this team just can't score. If Terrence Ross – Terrence Ross is a big deal because he can have, like, 30 in the blink of an eye, or he can go for 15. If he doesn't score 10 points – if he didn't score 20 points, actually, in this series, the Magic have no chance of winning that game. The only time they'll win a game is if Terrence Ross scores more than 20 points. That's my prediction. If the Magic win a game, it'll be because T. Ross goes for 30. All right, we'll look for that. We'll look for that. So let's go to 2-7. Brooklyn, who's been playing really good basketball, actually, against a Toronto team that a lot of people are high on. Uh, how do you think that goes? Well, I will say that for Wisconsin fans, the name Chioza basically is like a dagger to the heart. Uh, so we've been out a lot in this bubble. Uh, the, the Oh, man, that, that, that little one-handed leaner that is the luckiest Yeah, I know what you're talking about. The history of the NCAA tournament to keep Wisconsin out of the Elite Eight and, honestly, the Final Four that year, in my opinion, at least. They're, they're, they're a surprising team. Brooklyn, I thought they were going to be the eight seed, like, for sure, and they've won some games. Like you said, they've scrapped. They beat the Clippers. I know it wasn't an extremely meaningful game for the Clippers, but they still beat the Clippers, and that wasn't a joke lineup. Uh, that, that, was, that was Kawhi playing. That was PG playing. So not PG, not PG, just Kawhi. not PG, just Kawhi playing. But still, yeah, no, it, it was it was an impressive win, and it was a wire to wire win. They had a great first quarter in that game, so maybe they start hot in one or two of these games. I could see them stealing one. Much higher chance of the Magic uh, than the Magic do of stealing games. So I'm going to go Raptors in five. Brooklyn gets hot from the outside in one game, but the Raptors defense is just too good. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. Raptors in five. I think uh, shout out Karis LeVert. He's been playing out of his mind. Um, he's a great player, honestly, and he's just been yes. given a chance to shine even more so without Spencer there. Uh, but, yeah, I think Toronto in five, and I honestly think it could be a little bit of a shock, the shock being that Brooklyn wins two games as opposed to one. That's about it. Okay. If they get hot in two. But I'm going for five. I'm agreeing with you on if I had to make a pick, five. 
Indeed, we always spend playoffs. Guys, for, for listeners that don't know what playoff Saturday is, it's the first day of the NBA playoffs. It's almost always on a Saturday, not this year because everything's weird. And there's always four games. It always starts at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And I'm always at 7, 8 something Radcliffe. I'm not going to give your address away in this episode, but uh, Radcliffe Avenue uh, watching with this man, Darian Vaziri. And man, I'm going to miss those Raptors 10 a.m. games. You got Masai Ujiri cursing at everybody outside. You got Jurassic Park and the Raptors lose. That's the classic start to NBA playoffs Saturday. But we're going to miss it. God, I know. That'll be really missed. Play- no, the best was playoffs Saturday. We watch half of a game, and then we drive to the Staples Center for the first that, game. That's the, that's the best right there, actually. That was, right. I, I, was just to, I was just talking to my girlfriend about that. I was like, yeah, we would watch it the first two games, then we would just whip the Staples Center and watch the Clippers. <laughs> No, that was the best. 2014 game one playoff Saturday. We had um, – we watched Brooklyn play Toronto, Jurassic Park Classic. Toronto loses. And then we went to watch Clippers and Warriors at Staples Center. I mean, that was, that was some great times. It's going to be – we're really going to miss the – you know, just being able to be at the games, being – just the, the – the, how alive the city is, you know, during the playoffs. We're gonna, really going to miss that this, this year. But um, let's go to the Celtics and the Sixers. So, obviously, it's a long, long rivalry. I mean – a lot of and obviously you you know your mom is from from Massachusetts. I've always been a Celtics you know guy that supports the Celtics. So obviously without Ben Simmons, looks like the Celtics are going to run away with this one. Uh, given what, what do you think? What do you want to see from Philly to even make this close? Do you think they can even make it close? Like what's good with that? I've always been a Laker hater, which has always driven me towards whoever the Laker fans hate the most, and that was the Celtics for a long time. Now it's the Clippers, to be perfectly honest. It just is uh, all over Twitter and stuff. But this Celtics team. They should, they should run over Philly, and I think that Ben Simmons being healthy would change a lot. I think we'd see a six- or seven-game series Agreed. without Ben Simmons. There just isn't enough ball handling on the Sixers team without Ben Simmons. Like He controls the basketball so much that you can't really just remake your offense when you lose that guy that maybe doesn't score 30 points a game like a James Harden, but has the ball in his hands like a James Harden does. Like It's always the Ben Simmons show, whether he's scoring or not. The basketball's in his hands. I don't have the metrics in front of me, but uh, he's – easily the highest usage rate player on the Sixers. And now Embiid's usage rate when he's not even that healthy right now, to be honest, he never really is. Yeah, uh, never. He's, go, he's never in great shape. No, that's a big thing about Embiid that you have to say, just never in top shape. And that's honestly on him, I guess. It definitely uh, is on him. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, would you say, I mean, right now, Jokic is definitely the better center? 100% right yeah. now. Because I, can't last year, too, in my opinion. Even though the stats might disagree, I mean – I don't know. Like, I just don't remember outside of game three against Toronto. I don't remember any moments. I mean, he had some good games in the first round against Brooklyn, but I don't think anyone's going to, you know, the Sixers and the Brooklyn Nets last year wasn't really a test of how good Embiid is. Like, I'm trying to think what big playoff moments has he had? Like, Jokic, I mean, I remember last year he played some big games against San Antonio, played some big games against Portland. Did he choke in game seven? Absolutely. But I'm just seeing more leadership with Jokic like more caring to the craft like Embiid is so much talent but he really he really just disappoints me and I think this is the series now the Sixers I don't think we're gonna win and I don't think that he should be faulted if they lose however in a series where the Celtics biggest problem is size and there was a game earlier this season where Joel Embiid just completely dominated on the inside Embiid needs to average like just just from him needs to I want to I want to see him average like 30 points this series like let's go see him do it Indeed, any game the Sixers win in this series, Embiid's going to have to put up 30, right? I mean, yeah. like you can't see, I can't see this team winning without Embiid putting up at least 30 points and doing it efficiently, not just shooting 30 times, but doing it extremely efficiently, not falling in love with a three-point shot, which is something we talk about with Embiid. He really loves that shot way too much, in my opinion, because he's actually a really good mid-range shooter. 
Yeah. He just needs like three dribbles in. He's not a great three-point shooter by any means, by any metrics. So, man, I, the Sixers, I don't think they have the offense to stay with Boston. But you're right. They have to slow the game down. They have to find Joel Embiid. And the Celtics have always lacked that true big. I feel like it's happened for a little while now. Since, since Horford left, they've lacked it. Uh, but even with Horford, he's not, yeah. not exactly a true big man. Exactly. I mean, he's, not, he's more, he's more of a big man. Yeah. You've always wondered where the Celtics going to go to get that true big. DeAndre Jordan was in the conference. Remember that? Like a couple years ago, they were like, yeah. I mean, but like, honestly, I mean, if I'm being honest, like, I, I really like what Tice has been doing this year. Like, I, re- I don't think, and here's the thing I don't think it's going to be a big man dominating the Celtics that's going to be the reason that they lose the, the, this championship. Like, I really think that Embiid needs to average 30 just because I want to see him see him go to work. He has no excuse, honestly. That's eight points a quarter. Like, that's, th- that's two ba- baskets, two free throws. I mean, you know, it's like three baskets and a free throw if we're just counting twos. Like, and also, I think Tobias, obviously someone that we had and we've watched a lot, you know, he needs to be a little more aggressive in this series. And I want to see him average at least – he better not average less than this. I'll be really disappointed. At least 20. I agree. I agree with that. Five points a quarter. Give it to me. If the Celtics lose, it'll be because Kemba Walker doesn't play up to his, his all-star level. I mean, if he doesn't play as, as the closer they need, yes, the ball might be in Tatum's hands even more down the stretch than Kemba's. But I think Kemba's the key. I think I know what I'm going to get from Jason Tatum. We haven't seen – listen, Kemba's as clutch as they come in college. Trust me, I'm the biggest college basketball fan on the planet. The man literally won an NCAA tournament by himself. It doesn't get more clutch than that. Every single game is single elimination, right? It's, it's crazy. That man had one of the greatest runs we'll ever see in college basketball. It's not his fault. He was in Charlotte. But we haven't seen him in this kind of NBA moment. We just haven't. We haven't. We haven't seen him when so, he has expectations to actually win a series for the first time in his right? life. We've never seen it. How will Kemba respond? That's going to be the question for the Celtics. They'll beat the Sixers no matter how Kemba plays. I'm going to go Celtics in five. I agree. Celtics in five. Um, but if, I'm, a, if I'm, I'm going to look at some of these games from a Sixers perspective, fan perspective, and be 30, Tobias 20. If they do that, these games can be close. I, I promise Doc you. Richardson needs to shoot the basketball extraordinarily well. Yeah, and he, he's a good player. I mean, he's a solid player. But, oh, also, I mean, a guy that's going to be interesting to see is Al Horford. He hasn't really gelled beautifully with this team. Playoff Al, um, though. Team, he knows this team well. And, you know, I made a post on Instagram, Playoff Al. He always elevates his game in the playoffs. So it'll be really interesting to see how he plays against his former club. I agree. Playoff Al does take his game. I actually just watched. Remember that, that genius Brad Stevens call where they switched a little man onto Al? They switched a PG onto Al for the win. I think it was game three in Philadelphia. And they lobbed the pass over yes. and Al caught and finished. I yeah. just watched that recently. So playoff Al, yeah. We'll see if he can do to Philly what he did to – or sorry, what he, what he, what he does to Boston uh, as he did in Boston against Philly. That, that's what I'm trying to put my brain around. Yeah. Yep. And, um, yeah, I think that's pretty good on the Sixers. So then the actual series that it seems like, you know, we may have actual interest in, like in terms of unpredictability, is Miami and Indiana. We've had Indiana with TJ Warren being unreal. What's Sabonis – do you know what Sabonis' deal is? Sabonis isn't in the bubble. He's done. At all? He just didn't come? No, he's oh, done. Then I got, I'm I mean, positive, yeah. Miami in six then for me. What about you? Uh, I think this series will be pretty close. Uh, oh, wow. Never mind, D. I, I thought he wasn't in the bubble, but he is in the bubble. And actually, it says could return. They haven't ruled him out, even though he was listed out indefinitely. Because I thought he was listed out for the season. But now I'm reading that could return for 2020 playoffs, but I'm not seeing anything at all uh, definitive. So... And this is two days ago from Clutch Points, so I can't exactly call it the world's greatest source. So we're not sure yet with Sabonis. Without Sabonis, let's just take him out because he is out indefinitely, technically, on the injury report. This series is going to go seven. I think this series is going to go to so. distance. I really do. 
I think bubble TJ Warren is legit. This is not some fluke. He, he's always been a high-level scorer at NC State. He was a bucket getter, and he still is. Uh, the Suns – boy, the Suns out of him, man. Uh, mm-hmm. That'd be scary. Now, Oladipo has to elevate his game, and he obviously wasn't healthy this year. So we'll see if he has enough, you know, tread uh, on the tires to get back to his old form. We'll see if he's played enough meaningful minutes to get back to himself because it's hard to come back middle of the season, get it shut down, and then have to come back again. Yeah, I think with Victor, I think with Victor, it's going to be more, we're going to be able to really judge how the future of his career is going to go next season. Yeah, this isn't a make break series for him at all. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that. I just think it's going to be nice, though, to see how far he is in that, like, you know, his form compared to what we saw in 2018. And we're going to be able to actually hone in on it watching all these games now. Yeah, Bucks fans are going to love me mentioning his name. I have a lot of Bucks fans followers. Malcolm Brogdon's going to be big in this series. If I like Indiana him a lot. Wins it, if Indiana wins it, he's going to be massive. He is actually a true point guard in a lot of ways. Uh, out of Virginia, Tony Bennett does a great job at just mentoring these Virginia kids that come out after four years. And maybe they don't have the much, as much potential as other guys. Maybe they don't look so flashy on draft boards. They're not sneaking up because of potential. The NBA draft is all potential. But, man, they come out ready to be NBA players, and they always are. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is a great example of that, and he's going he's gonna to do big things in this series. I think he has a really good series ahead of him. Boy, Duncan Robinson is possibly the greatest shooter I've, I've seen coming into the league in a long time, like since Steph. Like I'm not, I'm not, I, I, and that might sound crazy to some listeners. Watching this guy, I've watched him a lot this year, the release, I mean, how every shot is literally online. If he misses, it's long or short. It, it's, I've almost never seen the man shoot an offline jumper. He's, and he doesn't do a lot else, right? He's not, he's not a great player. Uh, he's a good player. But as a shooter, a pure shooter, I, I can't say enough about this guy. I, I've never seen – I literally have not seen a guy come into the league and be this great of a shooter since watching Steph. That, wow. that might be at that, but the man is just automatic. It's literally like watching a machine. It's automatic. So what do you think the series goes? I'm taking heat in six, though. I'm going to stand by that pick. I'm going to go Heat in seven because I think Jimmy Butler is the best player on the floor. And I think that wins you a game seven a lot of the time. So I'm going to go Heat in seven. Jimmy Buckets has a big moment in game seven to get the Heat over the hump. I'm really high on this Heat team too, especially with Bam. He's my pick for most improved. They have some great young guys. I think Iguodala is going to be huge in the playoffs because you just have that experience, can guard the best player on the other team. And I think that's going to be huge. I'll say this. I think though Indiana will test them. I think it's a pretty good matchup for Indiana. I think they have some, some positive things that they can do against Miami. Bucks fans, watch out. The Miami Heat are not the team, not the team you want to see. And let's go to the West, and let's talk about – some of these are kind of brief. Let's go through um, Clippers, and, uh, Clippers and Mavs. So I'm feeling pretty good about this going this – here's the thing. This is the best I've felt going into a first round since Portland in 2016. Obviously, injuries are the reason we lost that uh, one. Yeah, yeah. But I'm feeling good about this. And I'm just so excited to see, like, I cannot believe that on Monday afternoon, I know it's not the stable center. It's not going to feel like the same playoffs, but having Kawhi Leonard in what's listed as a playoff game wearing Clipper Jersey, I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see what he does. I'm thinking, and here's the funny part. We could lose this first game and I wouldn't even like be that concerned because to me, they're not beating us four times out of, I don't even want to say seven games. I don't even think they're beating us four times out of six games. Like, I think we should beat them in five, five games. Like, really, really, we should beat them in five. They have, they've been 
terrible against us this season. We have so many guys that can guard Luca. And if Porzingis wants to keep chucking threes from beyond the arc, we'll live with that all day. So Clipper fans online, I just don't really understand. Like, you're, you're realistic. You're the most realistic basketball fan maybe I know. I don't understand why they're acting like this is a sweep and it's over. Uh, it's Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah, uh, I agree. You should, this is still Luka. Don, like, this guy, I know he's young. This is his exactly. first playoff series. He's a superstar already. He can win a game by himself. Indeed. And that's why I think, that, and that's why I think they're going to get one game. I told you this guy was a superstar like four years ago. You did. You did. You said he's going to be really good. But I admit, mean, you did not even expect this. I don't know if I – I did actually – I think I expected this. I'm not even kidding, but I didn't expect it this quick. That's, okay. that's what I, I didn't expect it this soon. Uh, but he was the number one pick in that draft to me easily. Anybody that has a EuroLeague MVP – at age 18, if you don't leave the number one pick in the NBA draft, you better have LeBron James as the top prospect then because that is a crazy number to win that at 18. The best league in the world. That's not the NBA. The most physical league in the world. More physical than the NBA. A tougher league to battle in than the NBA in terms of just how hard they hit, the calls, how things are officiated. It's tougher. It's just, it's just downright tougher. And that's not from me. That's from everyone that talks about playing in both leagues because there are a lot of guys that have gone back and forth like Luca and played – in both, Chris, that's Porzingis. I don't think he actually played in Euroleague, but he played in La Liga as another example of a guy uh, out of Europe. But So you got two Europeans, right, that lead the Mavs. But Clipper fans, I just can't look past this as a sweep. It's a great matchup, though. I mean, this is the best matchup the Clippers could have got in the first round. Better than the Blazers. I, I, I wouldn't want to see Dame right now. I don't think the Lakers are going to lose that series. But I'd rather see the Mavs than basically any team in the Western Conference right now. Uh, and that's not to say they aren't dangerous, but – this is as good as I can feel as a Clipper fan going into this series. It's going to be won by the Clippers. It's going to be probably five games, to be honest. I could see it being a sweep. I could see it being six. Uh, neither would shock me. But yeah, I, can't just, I can't just Sharpie the Clippers in. I just can't do it. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I'm very encouraged by Paul George. No fans, PG. He's been, he's been killing it. He's looking as good as he's looked in so long. I mean, for us, the best. But the only thing I'm a little bit concerned about on our, on our uh, end is that the Mavs, every, they haven't had any, like, major injuries right now in the bubble. Everyone's been playing. Trez and Bev haven't been getting reps. So, for them to be just thrusted into a playoff game concerns me a bit. Not as much Trez because, I mean, it's Trez. Like, he literally – Monster. I mean, he could be not playing basketball for a year and he can come back and dominate. But Bev, because he's so good at shooting the – like, his – when he's hitting threes, which he usually does towards the end of seasons – I mean, it's such a difference maker for our team. And I really think that if we want to win the championship, Bev needs to be able to hit open shots. So I'm not concerned about him doing it, but it may just take some time to get his rhythm back. And that could prove to be, make the games a little closer than they need to be. But um, overall, yeah, Clippers in five. I'm feeling really good about it. Let's go over to a series that no one's really talking about because they're smaller market teams. But had Bogdanovich been playing, I think this would have been must-see television. But because Agreed. he's not, I'm still going to watch Agreed. all the games, but because he's not, I think the Jazz are a little bit undermanned. It's going to be nice to see Rudy Gobert against Jokic, but truly I would love to see Jokic just destroy him because that's like my least favorite player in the NBA, Rudy Gobert. So I want to see – I think the Nuggets will win in six games. And I'm excited to see, though, I think, even though I consider Jokic the best player in the series, I think that Donovan Mitchell has a chance to perform like the best player in the series because I've seen him do it against Russ and PG. And I'm interested to see how Donovan tries to take matters into his own hands. But what do you think – what's your take on that series? I think a couple of things about this series. First of all, I think Bogdanovich's loss for NBA fans that haven't watched the Jazz. Bogdanovich is a 20-point-a-game score. This is not a role player. This is literally he plays solid second, defense, too. Not bad. Literally easily your second-best offensive player, not even close. Uh, like, by far the second-best offensive player on this team because, man, Rudy Gobert has negative offense. We're not going to talk about that much right now. Uh, but the Nuggets, 
are an interesting team. Michael Porter Jr., Bull Bull. They have a lot of young, fun talent. I think they're going to be a very sexy Western Conference Finals pick next year, maybe even a sexy NBA championship pick next year with people thinking uh, MPJ is going to take the next step. You know, Bull Bull is going to play some meaningful minutes. And these are really exciting pieces. Uh, are they there yet? No. But should they beat this Utah team? Yes, because their offense is just too deep. I mean, some important pieces for them that people don't realize. Monte Morris is a fantastic backup point guard, one of the best backup point guards in the league who plays really solid minutes for them uh, out of Iowa State. And it makes, makes the right play. One of those guys that just kind of makes the right decision, never really messes up. And that's really important to have at your backup point guard slot. Not someone that's going to take over, but someone that doesn't mess up. Michael Porter Jr. has new confidence, right? He looks like the top player in high school that we thought he was. And that's uh, something that they didn't have if the playoffs, if we hadn't had this coronavirus and they had just gone into the right. playoffs. They wouldn't have had MPJ in rhythm like this. So the only thing is, though, what's going on? I mean, Gary Harrison, Will Barton haven't played a game. Are they done? No, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I, I think Gary Harris is playing. Will Barton, I saw, was out too. Yeah. Uh, but I think Gary Harris, Gary Harris is big for them, like really big. I know, and he's been really, really inconsistent with his shot this year, but he still helps on the defensive end. He still spreads the floor. He's still a positive for them. But, yeah, he has struggled this year with Gary Harris. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on the, on the Nuggets have too much. And it, MPJ, man, I mean, I can see why he was the number one player. I mean, tall, jumper, just a score, like pure score. Like, he has range. I mean, this guy's going to be really good. And Bowl, too. I mean, Will talks about him all the time. And they're both going to be fantastic. But right now, obviously, we have more, of a, more to go off with MPJ. And, man, Denver, man, they've rebuilt so beautifully, man. Through the draft, too. Jamal Murray, Jokic, these are all their picks. And very well coached. Mike Moore, fantastic basketball coach. One of the guys that doesn't really get mentioned in that top tier of basketball coaches in the NBA. I think he's like basically tier one, maybe like tier 1B uh, of coaches in this league. I just saw, by the way, Gary Harris is technically questionable, but I think trending towards not playing game one. He missed all eight bubble games because of his hip injury. So trending towards not playing game one, but not ruled out yet for game one. So we'll, uh, Mike Conley, can he step yeah, up? Yeah, I was going to mention him. The Jazz are going to win this series. Mike Conley has to be Mike Conley on the Grizzlies. Yes. They and, can't win no, with him yeah. struggling. And you know what I noticed about Mike this year? So I'm a guy that, you know, despises Conley, but out of respect for him because he used to always give us so much trouble when the Clippers and Grizzlies had those rivalries. Mike Conley. Yeah, Mike Conley. So I've been, I've been watching a good amount of jazz games this year, and I've noticed his three-point percentage is actually up. It's that floater that he used to make in his sleep that he's just missing. I don't know if it's because Donovan's handling the ball and pick and roll and he's not as much. At the end of the day, though, not really. No excuses. Mike Conley's a professional. He's a very good player. He's got to hit those. Like, those are his shots. I don't know what's going on with it this season, but you never know. He's been playing a little better in the bubble, I think. And if Mike, as you said, dude, if Mike Conley can play Memphis Grizzlies, Mike Conley, this, is going, this can go seven games. And even Utah may be able to take it. Agreed. If Mike Conley plays like Mike, Mike Conley from the Grizz, plays, from, plays like Mike Conley that made Darian, the Clipper fan, uh, have nightmares every single night watching – that Grizzlies Clippers rivalry, then Utah can take the series. I don't think Utah will take the series. I think uh, just simply too much offense for the Nuggets. Utah just doesn't have the offense without Bogey to stay in the games when the Nuggets are going to go on 10 nothing runs and Utah won't be able to respond. So I think offense is the difference. Utah's defense will be good. It's always solid. Also, an interesting thing about Utah, yeah, I think they, they miss home court maybe more than any team in the league. Like, like their, their home court in the playoffs – is wild, and it's hard to say that because there are a lot of home courts that are great in the playoffs. No, but Utah is – Utah is another the best. level. I mean, it's another level. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and then they always play really well at home in the playoffs. So, I think they miss uh, a lot uh, not being at home and having the ability to be down 2-0, but you're going back home to Utah, and you can easily win two games in Utah. If they go down, you know, 1-2-0 in this series, it all of a sudden looks 
like a whole different ball game than going back to Utah. Yeah, and also, I mean, Denver's also losing on their home court advantage with the altitude. I mean, two mm-hmm. teams that rely on that a lot. So, yeah, overall, I'm going Denver in six. What about you? I'm going to go Denver in six as well. I think, I think it could be five, though. So let's talk about this Lakers series. I don't want to talk about it too much because it's, it's kind of the talk of the town. I mean, it's talk of the – everyone's looking at it. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be. Potential, you know, everyone's saying that Dame may give him trouble. I think, obviously, if I'm a Laker fan, I don't want to see Dame. However, if I'm being honest, the only thing that – the reason why I say I think the Blazers are going to win two games is because they're so in rhythm right now, and the Lakers just really haven't found any rhythm at all, to be honest, except for Kuzma, who's only individually found some rhythm. But uh, I'm taking Lakers in six because I just don't think the Blazers play good enough defense at all. And realistically, I think in this series, actually, as opposed to the Clippers series, if the Lakers play the Clippers, they actually have some decent guys that can, you know, size-wise match up with AD. What they don't have, though, is somebody for LeBron. So, right, I mean, what's their guy? Mello, Gary Trent. I mean – I wouldn't be surprised if it's Mello, like, quite a bit. Hazonia will be on him a lot, I think, after, you know. Oh, boy. In my opinion, I think Braun – has to be the more dominant force in this particular series than AD. I think AD is going to be good. I think they need to – LeBron's done an amazing job this season of getting AD going early in games. He needs to still do that. But I also think he needs to make sure he's aggressive himself, getting six points a quarter at least, and gradually increasing as he goes on because realistically no one on this Blazers team can guard him. But the, the thing is the Lakers don't have guys that can guard CJ and Dame at all. I mean, you got Danny Green and, and uh, KCP, decent defenders, but then the form that they're in right now, I mean, forget about it. But w- what are you thinking about this series? But, D, let's be honest. Nurkic can guard AD, but can he really? I mean, we're talking about a guy that no, can – No, no one can guard AD. Nobody can really guard Anthony Davis. That's my point. Anthony Davis is too quick for Yusuf Nurkic. Anthony Davis could still, if he wanted to in this series, score 35 a game. It doesn't matter who's guarding AD. He's the best uh, matchup nightmare in the NBA. Like, he, he's, he's the hardest matchup in the National Basketball Association. There's nobody that is a true matchup for Anthony Davis in the entire world right now. Uh, now, back to the Lakers and Blazers. You say the Blazers have been in rhythm, right? You say they're on fire. Actually, look at what they've done, though. Because basically every time, yes, they've won every game, so it doesn't really matter looking back. But we should look back a little bit because they're playing essentially the best team in the NBA right now in some people's minds, the Lakers. I don't think they are, but they're in that top three easily. The Blazers have gotten not lucky, but they've been extremely efficient down the stretch. And in most games they've won in this bubble, they've struggled mightily, like for long stretches. They've bailed themselves out thanks to Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, and Melo has been big at the end of games, but at the end of games, right? They've been down in, like, I want to say most fourth quarters they've played in the bubble. They were down against the Nets. They've been da- they were down today in the fourth quarter into the last six minutes. It was the same story we've seen from these Blazers. They struggle a lot early in the second half. They go down by five or six, and then Dame picks up the, picks up the load, and today it was CJ that picked up the load, right? And Melo hits a big shot or two. They struggled mightily against the Rockets in that game last week. They struggled – uh, let's see, they played – that Nets game was a big example because Karis LeVert went off, and that was a game the Nets had no business and they didn't care about it. And yet the Blazers still limped to the finish line. That first game against Memphis in the bubble. The Blazers won in overtime coming down from behind. They were behind the whole fourth quarter. They came from behind to tie the game, and they won in overtime. So it's not like the Blazers are just kind of crushing teams. They're just more clutch right now than other teams because they have two amazing closers. And, like, that, that's big. But I think the Lakers literally blow some of these games out. I don't think there are opportunities to close in some of these Laker wins. The Blazers have been great, but they haven't exactly been this juggernaut that everyone thinks they've been. The Suns were that juggernaut in the bubble. The Blazers have not been. The Blazers have just been clutch. Yeah, and I think – well, the thing is, it's like 
everyone's talking about can the Lakers flip the switch? Can they turn it on? Because even with those results the Blazers are getting, it's not like the Lakers have been getting any good results, really. We're only just basing it off the season. Yeah, but a little different. different. Because the Blazers needed those results. The Lakers did not. Exactly. No, exactly. Exactly. But that's my thing is that they've had so many months off. Like, they haven't gotten rhythm. That's why I think there's a chance that they could get a game or two. But on the AD thing, here's the thing. I agree with you. Nobody can guard AD one-on-one. AD torched Nurkic two years ago in the playoffs. However, I mean, I'm expecting the Lakers to not go this route because it's the playoffs and every possession counts. But – if they start doing that stuff like against Indiana where AD, because he's, there's a, another strong physical guy on him that's pushing him further away from the basket and he starts settling for jumpers and taking too many threes and not dominating and taking people off the dribble like he should be and he becomes kind of just this spot-up shooting away from the basket AD, there's going to be some problems. Agreed. Agreed. AD can like, – like I was saying in the chat when we were talking with our friends, the only person that can beat Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis. Yep. He can take himself out of games if he wants to. But when he's mentally in check, when he is imposing his will, nobody's taking that will out of the game. If Anthony Davis imposes his will, it will be there. Like, he's going to take over if he wants to. The only person stopping him is him. And last, lastly on this one before we go to the final series, um, we've been hearing about playoff Braun all year. I mean, he's had a very good season. Uh, obviously, it's a debate, you know, who has been the best. We've talked about this all the time on the team. But regardless, LeBron has had a great season, one of his best. It's been a different role for him. I think he's done great. Uh, in the bubble, he has not been very good, not for his standards. Um, this is it, playoff Braun. I mean, what do you think? I mean, is, if, if he comes – how do you think he's going to look? Is he going to be fantastic? Is he going to be crazy? Do you think he can just turn it on? Is he, is he in that same place he was in 2018? Do you think he can just turn it on? Uh, and be, is he the best – can he still be the best player in the basketball like a lot of his fans think he is? He's not in the same place he was in 2018. I think that is abundantly clear. Mm-hmm. But in 2018 when he turned it on too, even if he was in that same place in my opinion skill-wise, he wasn't turning it on against the players he's going to have to turn it on against in this bubble. He wasn't turning it on against, you no know, 2020 Clippers, uh, what's going to be a second-round matchup that's going to be very tough with the Thunder or the Rockets, right? He wasn't turning it on against this quality of team. He played the Celtics – without their star player in Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum was a rookie trying to take over that game seven. Like that's who he turned it on against. And I love that Celtics team, but that's not the Clippers of this year. Like that, that's not even close, right? It's not even the same ballpark. So he's not playing the same level of competition uh, that he was in 2018. That level goes way up. Can playoff Braun just suddenly show up? I think we'll see it in moments. I mean, that's the difference with him when he declines. We won't just see him rapidly declining and suddenly becoming a guy that scores, you know, 15 a game, right? We're not going to just see this like, you blink and he, he's gone and, and he just declines so much. We're not going to see that in the playoffs this year. We're going to see moments. We're not going to see it all the time. That's the difference, I think, from years past, where 2018 especially, we saw it all the time, like every game he was on. And early in his career, 2011 and stuff, he wasn't on every game, right? And there was that kind of sweet spot where every game we saw the best version of LeBron James in the playoffs. I think that there are many factors that will keep him from doing that. I think that AD – has to be the guy that leads this team to a championship. If they win one, it has to be because Anthony Davis imposes his will on both ends of the floor. He's the best Laker player on both ends, in my opinion. No He's question. The best player on this team. He's the best player on this team. We agree with that. A lot of people don't think that. Yeah, no, I know. And, and, and here it is. Here it is. We're going to find out right here. I've been hearing about it all year. I want to see, see it. This series we'll find out. Because game like one, I want right to see how he comes that LeBron, out. That who, who in the world? Mario Hazonia is going to stop you? I mean, give me a break. I think that you might see something here that I'm, I'm going to throw out right now. I watched Damon Lillard on a podcast a few days ago with J.J. Redick, my favorite NBA podcast in the game right now. J.J. Redick does it with Tommy Alter. It is awesome. Check it out on YouTube, uh, on J.J. Redick's YouTube channel. 
Dame said something interesting. He said that I believe I want – it was the Rockets game. I want to say it was the Rockets game where he came out at halftime and said to Terry Stotts, I'm guarding guarding James Harden. I know it wasn't the game plan, but I'm guarding James Harden. I would not be surprised in the end of these games to see Damian Lillard on LeBron James. I know know people think that LeBron James can just steamroll him and just run over him with physical strength. But Dame might want that challenge. I'm letting you know right now, if LeBron's going off, I, I would not be shocked to see Dame guarding on the perimeter a lot. And it would have to be a team defense thing, obviously, but wouldn't be shocked. And that'd be awesome, and that'd be so Dame to do that. Like, that's so him. That'd be very Dame. But if LeBron James gets Damian Lillard on him in any situations, and, he, and this is the playoffs, no BS, and he is not dominating, we're having a field day on Dime Dropper. And all you Bronx you know he's going to take some sidestep. Uh, to his left foot threes, like against it's the Dame. Playoffs, you know, though. You know he's gonna do you it know, though. Little guy's gonna get punished. You know he's still gonna do it though. Well, I'm sorry, we're not gonna see a consistent LeBron James. We're gonna see him be great at times, but we're gonna see the up and down, and that, that's gonna be the issue with the Lakers. Okay, so let's go to the final series. Uh, Storylines all over the place. It sucks that we're not getting this with fans, but Westbrook and CP3 playing their former teams. Obviously, we have Westbrook with a little injury. He may not play some games. Uh, I definitely think that changes things for the, for the Thunder. I mean, this one is really hard to predict. I can't even make a real prediction for you right now because I don't think, like, literally Russ may just miss games. Um, and that could change the whole series, depending on how many games he misses. Um, right now, though, you know what? With the, all the uncertainty in the air, I'm going to say Russ comes back at some point. I'm going to go with Houston in seven games. But this one's going at least six, in my opinion. Agree, this is going to be a deep series. I think Russ is right now like supposed to miss the first two, maybe three, which would be really big. Uh, even the difference between two and three right there, like, that'd be huge if he misses two versus missing three. I think it's the kind of series that just seesaws back and forth. I think uh, you're not going to see a team go up by two games early. I think you're going to see split the first two, split the next two. I know, split uh, the first two as well. Yeah, a lot of seesawing back and forth. Uh, but I think OKC wins this series. Wow, and really? I do. I do. Is it because of Westbrook being out or because uh, – I think it is because of Westbrook being out partially, but I might have OKC in seven if Westbrook was healthy. Wow. Uh, I think that OKC really made me into a believer. I thought they were kind of a fraud that would make the playoffs and get swept at the beginning of this whole thing. And then I told you, I texted you like a few weeks ago, you know, I would not want to see OKC in the first round from the Clippers right now because they have the veteran leadership with Chris Paul. SGA is a, is a star. He's a star. Uh, point blank. We know that as Clipper fans. We saw the makings of it last year mm-hmm. uh, with that incredible run against Golden State. We saw it. He's a star. Steven Adams is an imposer in the playoffs, right? He's going he's gonna to impose his will on, on these games in the playoffs. Gallinari is having a resurgent year. If Daniil Gallinari... Uh, last year, he did the same stats. It was last year was the resurgent on, year. On the Clippers, on the Clippers. True, true. Yeah. And for him, it's not even like playing better. It's just being healthy. Like, he's not a much better player than he was. He I mean, never... here's, here's my, what I observed oh. last year. Two things. One, he, um, he, uh, it, it's health first, obviously. But because of that health, I think he actually has gotten better. Like literally before, even if you just look at his efficiency, obviously it wasn't, you know, we talk about this all the time. We're going to talk about it to end the podcast. Scoring is much easier in 2020 than it was in 2016 even. Oh, yeah. But, but that being said, the shots that Gallo makes are like contested mid-ranges with guys in his face, three-pointers from like really deep off the catch, even sometimes over fools. Like, no, I swear he has really improved his game, and it's really just making jumpers. It's kind of crazy. Like, he's really taken it to another level last year. So, Gallo, man, proud of Gallo. He's, he's killing it. Like, 19 points efficiency, 50, 40, 90 type numbers. Man, Gallinari, good for him, dude. And they're a good defensive team. They have really good defensive pieces in 
guys like SGA and Chris Paul and Steven Adams and a guy off the bench like Lou Dort uh, or Andre Roberson, guys that are really good defenders. So this team is pretty deep. They, they have a decent bench. Obviously, Dennis Schroeder's had uh, an incredible year. I think that without Russ, the Rockets are going to just struggle a little bit to control the game on the offensive end. I think James Harden obviously will get his numbers. He loves his stats. Uh, but when he goes off the floor, you don't have Russ to come in, right? Yeah, you, it's going to be Austin Rivers running that unit. And uh, I like Austin, but he is not a great guy to, you know, run your offense. And Mike, as you say, Mike D'Antoni uh, really likes to stagger Russ and Harden a lot of the time. You'll always see one on the court. So not having either on the floor at different times in these games is going to be recipe for disaster. They're going to have to hit a lot of role player threes. Yes. What do you think about – so we talk about Steven Adams. I mean, he, he, I wouldn't say he has great post game, but he has a really good touch around the basket, and he's got some jump hooks for today's game with, with these small guys that he's going to be playing. What do you want to see from him? Do you want to see him dominate? What do you want to see from a numbers perspective? Steven Adams is, you know, a top 10 center in today's NBA. Maybe you could even argue lower half of the top five, maybe. Do you think he can – what do you want to see from him? Like, should he be dominating? He needs to dominate the glass, that's for sure. If OKC yeah. wins this series, he needs to dominate the glass. Does he have to score 20 a game? Does he have to post up on every other possession? No. That's not really the Thunder play. But is he going to get a lot of what I like to call fantasy three-point plays where he gets a little tip-in, rebound plus the bucket? Uh, back when we were playing fantasy basketball, I always love those. Uh, he's going to get a bunch of those. He's going to get a bunch of offensive rebounds, and he will eight a lot of points that he doesn't score based on his offensive rebounding. He's going to have games where he has eight, nine offensive rebounds. You know what I mean? I mean, he's going to have stretches of, like, two or three in a possession and it's going to change a possession so I think he will be big on the glass and he has to be big on the glass if they'll see Thunder are going to win this series and you know what even without Russ right let's say he misses two games let's say he misses three games if Oklahoma City wins what do you think this says about Chris Paul a ton a ton this is not something that's going to go that should just be like oh he made it the second round that year uh this is a team that people let's let's just rewind right? Like eight months. This is a team that's supposed to win like 30 games max, yeah. right? A team that many people thought Chris Paul would be off of by the all-star break. A team that yep. by the trade deadline, nobody thought Chris Paul would still be there before this year started. A team with a coach in Billy Donovan that really hasn't proven anything at this level. People have been calling for his head after the last couple of playoff exits. Oh yeah. And a guy that was great at Florida for many years, but hasn't proven at the NBA level. And we all know but see, that's, that's why I think, though, that I don't think Billy Donovan should win Coach of the Year. I think it should be Nick Nurse because it's not just he – you know, obviously maybe this, this team fits his personnel better or whatever. But last year when you got guys calling for his head, and then this year it's magically, like, great, and he's doing a well-coached team, I think you're just not giving the players enough credit. And it was the same with Doc Rivers last year. People were giving the team not enough credit and giving Doc too much credit when it's actually the players that media members aren't watching because they're not on national television all the time. And they're not giving the players enough credit. SGA did not get the credit he deserved before this season because he only averaged 10 points with us last year for a lot of reasons. And then Gallinari the same. And Chris Paul, everybody was saying, was washed because he looked a little older last year in the playoffs. I mean, here's the thing. Two reasons. Yes, he was injured. He was in and out of the games last year. Um, that's been a huge thing with Chris is I am shocked. He's only missed one game this season, if I'm not mistaken. And that was after Kobe Bryant passed away. It wasn't anything to do with injuries, which is unbelievable. Like, this is a guy that I used to have headaches with how much he would get hurt. And for him to have this type of resurgence. Him and Gallo, bro, like they're, they're the all-injury team that has somehow yeah. stayed healthy. I mean, Chris, I mean, he has done an unbelievable job. So I don't want to hear excuses, even if Russ doesn't play. Chris Paul should have never been here. The Thunder should have never been here. And if they beat the Rockets, that's because Chris Paul's a beast. And Facts. the rest of them are great. Facts. So 
What do you think? Okay, so let's – so are you still rolling with the Thunder in this series? I'm still rolling with the Thunder in this series. And they win the series because they have a little bit more defensively than the Rockets do, and they have Steven Adams who's going to get a bunch of offensive rebounds. And like I said, those stretches without either Westbrook or Harden on the court, I think are going to look very bad in terms of the plus-minus for OKC and the Rockets. I think OKC is going to win those minutes by a lot over a few games in those first few games. OKC has to go up. If, if Westbrook's out three games, you got to win two. You and have to. If he's out the first two games, I think you've got to, you got to win both, man. Try. I don't know about that. I think OKC is better than that. Uh, I think they can, they can beat this team with or without Westbrook. You mean uh, but OKC is better than that. No, I'm saying that, I'm saying that if, if Westbrook's out for the first two games and OKC splits – I think OKC still has every chance in the world to win this series. I don't think that's like – No, I think they have every chance in the world, but it would be nice to capitalize. Well, it would. If they lose yeah. this series after that happens and they go one and one I feel like you would reflect on the game without Westbrook more so than with him. Because I think – Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So my thing to, to end is with this uh, topic as we close – we're going to go to our closing topic is this is put up or shut up for Harden for me. I've heard a lot about him and his stats and everything – and everyone wants to make an excuse. He only lost because he had to play against the Warriors with Durant. I already, I already said last year, game six, he had a chance. But it was like, oh, it was just one game. And he didn't get enough help. They weren't rebounding. Chris Paul didn't play well. There's no more Warriors. If you're just telling me that he can't beat championship contending teams, that's on him. Because he has Russell Westbrook. He has a good supporting cast. And if you're going to say they're too small, well, isn't that what they believe in? Take it. James Harden is the problem with today's NBA. He is an amazing, Perfect Perfect amazing scorer. He's broken the game, right? They, they've changed rules for him. He has broken the game because of hand checks. He gets so many, so many, so many calls because he feels that hand on the hip and he immediately either goes up or he sweeps through or he drives on you with that hand still on the hip and actually grabs your hand. You can watch him all the time. will grab a defender's hand and keep it there, basically, to have it in the cookie jar. Uh, he does a lot of things that just break the game in some ways. Some of it's genius, but this is not some ridiculous, stupid narrative that that doesn't exactly work in the playoffs. Like It's not a narrative. It's a fact. He had a perfect chance against Golden State. So I don't want to hear uh, – last year really summed it up. He had a perfect chance to go to the, to win the NBA championship, actually, if you think about it. Because how proven was that Raptors team? Not too proven, even though I still would have gone with them over Houston. I would have too, but that's probably the best chance in terms of an Eastern. I'd rather rather play them than uh, actually. The Cavs teams are pretty bad sometimes, but yeah, no, I'm taking. Uh, but but I see what you're saying, though. I mean, chance. that was his only chance to really get past his, his best chance. Not his only chance. He could have beaten the Warriors other times, uh, but that was his really best chance to get past Golden State. Uh, two games to do it. The two games to do it, and the entire team choked in that game seven. What did they shoot from three? What was it like? Four of 28 or something ridiculous like that? 26 in a row. But see, here's yeah. the thing. We looked past that because he didn't have Chris Paul. And then we have last year when the Warriors didn't have Durant and he had Chris Paul. How can you look past that D as a, as a home game, as a superstar, as, as a supposed superstar? That's probably look good after the game. But I watched the fourth quarter. I remember him missing a wide open layup for his standards, wide open. And I remember him throwing the ball away in the fourth quarter on inbounds under his own basket. Inexcusable. If I was a Rockets fan, I want to chuck my remote at the TV. That's ridiculous. You can't be making mistakes like that when your life's on the line. And, and I don't want to hear any of this. Okay, one bullshit thing on James. I'm going to go off right now, dude. I'm going to go, go fuck for it. Hey, we want I'm this. so fucking mad about this. Here we go. <laughs> this is fucking bullshit. I see all the time on Twitter, okay? I see this shit all the time. 
James Harden is actually a great post defender because look at his advanced stats. He's actually a really, really good post defender because of this metric and that metric, and he actually gets a lot of steals. Look at his steals numbers. His steals numbers are great. He's actually just a completely underrated defender. Absolute fucking load of horseshit. He is an awful defender. He has the exact reputation he deserves as a defender. You know what don't mean anything? Steals. Most overrated stat in basketball. A completely bullshit stat. Some of my worst defensive possessions in my life were when I got steals. I would just eat, gamble. I, I would guess that he was gonna, someone was going to do a crossover on me, and I would get that little tap. I yeah, would, I know exactly I what you're talking about. I would let the, let the guy buy me and then do the wraparound, which James Harden does all the time, by the way. He always tries to do that wraparound from behind. Yeah, poke you know, from behind. Yeah. The poke always does that. James Harden can't stay in front of anybody. That's a, that's a guard in this league. He can't stay in front of anybody. But do you think it's effort or do you think – because in OKC, he had some defensive moments where he was really good. But do you think – it, think- It's mental and it's physical. He's not a great physical defender, but he also takes mental lapses. It's the worst of both worlds. He's a bad defender. Uh, I, I will never see a metric. Watch him play in the NBA playoffs. Watch him, people. Please watch him. We're, hey, we're going to lock in on it. We're going to lock in on good it. good against bad post players. That's, that's the other thing is that post defense in this era is not the same. Because when he, when he switches onto a big guy and he's guarding them, they're not the same post player that you saw in the 80s, in the 70s. They're not great post players. Like, there aren't that many of them. If, for example, he switches onto Steven Adams. Steven Adams backs him down and bricks a hook shot. That's not James Harden being an incredible defender. Steven Adams just isn't a great offensive post player. Like, how many are there in the league that are big men? Because every time I see a stat or a video or a clip of James Harden guarding someone in the post, it's not guarding his man. He needs to switch onto a big of some sort, especially with this – small ball rockets lab and people say, well, look what he did there against that guy. I mean, he just muscled him off and uh, really didn't let him have much. Well, how many great post players are there in the NBA right now? Three. And I, do you think that's why the rockets can get away with this kind of five out type of stuff? Because there aren't players that can expose that on a nightly basis. Yes. And no. I mean, I think they, ha- I think they think they have to do this because they don't have the talent. This team, this specific team does not just simply have, the personnel of other teams in the West. So they think they have to be different to win, which I, I respect actually. And I respect Mike D'Antoni, who's been ahead of the numbers analytics offensively for a long time. And Hey, I like analytics. Uh, I like a lot of analytics. Most defensive uh, numbers that I see attached to James Harden's name are BS. And I think most defensive things that you see in the stat sheet, at least in the basic stat sheet, and even ba- pretty basic advanced stats, that's kind of a, uh, uh, what's, what's it called? It's like a oxymoron there, basic advanced, but, some of the more generic advanced stats say James Harden performs well, when in reality, I don't think you can track most things on defense that are good. Like most of the best defensive possessions do not go anywhere near a stat sheet. You didn't, you didn't allow the shot, right? You didn't allow your player to get the basketball. Uh, you didn't overcommit. Uh, so when they shot a mid-range jumper, they missed it. You didn't, you didn't get beat back door, right? Things like that. Also, there's no stat for like getting beat back door. Uh, we, don't, we don't see these things in – I mean, there's Where so many things on defense that you can't calculate. Also, where's the st- – you know when I'm playing the best defense? The best defense is when you're playing such good defense that the guy is not even getting a shot off. He's passing it because he can't score, can't even get the shot off. Especially against a guy that. like Duncan Robinson, for example, I was talking about earlier. Like, the best defense on Duncan Robinson would just be to not – he would take two shot attempts. Right? Yeah. So he, he can even make both. He can make both. And all of a sudden, you're, you're, the person you're guarding has 100% field goal percentage. You see all yeah. that all the time, don't you? About Always. the field goal percentage against someone that they're guarding, mm-hmm. right? Whether being good or bad. That doesn't mean much. Like, yeah. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah, That's exactly. I couldn't agree more. So yeah. let's go into stuff we were talking about um, a couple of weeks ago. So obviously I've been saying one of my goals to educate the young generation on things that we've been misinformed with. And uh, 
you were texting me some stuff and I was like, Ash, what has happened to you, man? Like you were saying some crazy things about today and propping up these guys so much. And then we talked, we saw each other in person. I kind of broke it down what I've been seeing over this break and what I've learned. And what were the main takeaways you saw and are seeing from the old generations as you've been watching some full games during quarantine and what we're seeing right now in 2020? So you basically just beat me to the punch a little bit by like a couple of weeks, but really we, we were kind of in the same place like six months ago. Oh, absolutely. The bronze the best player on the planet uh, and different things like that. These players today, the role players are just better. It's not even close. Like they're just better players. You put Lou Williams in the game 20 years ago. He's, he's the best player in the world, right? All this stuff I kind of would think about role players and then uh, different things about the evolution of the game. They're just better athletes today. Uh, they're just better at passing. They're just better at ball handling. The ball handling is night and day different from the 80s to today, whatever, whatever, whatever. So basically I was looking at it in a non-structural way. Like I wasn't looking at the big picture. I was looking at these very small individual pictures of look at how this player dribbles, not, not the why behind he does it, why he does it. Or like, look at how bad that role player is. He never gets the ball. Like he doesn't do anything. Offensively, he just fucking stands there, mm-hmm. right? In an 80s game, for yeah. example. I wasn't thinking about why. Or, or what they were actually doing uh, in terms of their reasoning behind what they were doing. I was just yeah. looking at what. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, of course. I think that's what a lot of kids do. But, yeah, continue. Right. I'm liking this. So the why behind the what is what got illuminated for me in the last, like, five months. What I call my basketball enlightenment. And what you helped me on and a lot of other people have talked to me about uh, in our group chats and whatnot and on Twitter and stuff, yada, yada, yada. The young fan is just inherently biased. Anybody that's any age actually in the NBA is, in NBA history is pretty much biased as a fan because we've watched LeBron James the whole way. We can watch a ton of Jordan. We can never experience him in the same way we can experience LeBron James. Facts. We're in the media narrative every day. Uh, we're in, and I'm still biased, right, towards LeBron probably a little bit. Uh, I'm just trying to fight it all the time. Maybe I become the other way. You know, who knows, right? But we can't live Jordan. We're 21 year olds, right? We can't live Magic. We can't live Russell. But we've lived LeBron, and he's been great. It's been greatness for a long time. So naturally, we're inherently biased towards LeBron James uh, as the best player of all time. We've watched him do incredible things time and time again, year in, year out. We've watched him struggle. We've watched the media say he sucks. We've watched the media say he's a choker. But then we've seen him come up, rise up from those ashes of 2011 and become a winner, right? We've seen the whole trajectory. Now, the biggest things I noticed between old basketball and new basketball that I wasn't noticing, once again, getting back to that why. So let me break down a few things. Go for it. Role players. Let's start with role players. I think my my, my favorite line to use was role players back then were bad. Stars were great in the 80s, but role players then, terrible, right? Compare them to today, terrible. It's BS. Here's why. Role players back then, as much of my arguments will be based around, were told, structured, and preached to do something totally different than they are today. Right now, you want scores. You want guys that will stand there and just chuck threes. Yeah, like, space the floor. You want Terrence Ross, highest catch-to-chuck ratio in the league. Like, like he just catches – Dylan Brooks just throws it up at the rim. I mean, literally, the amount of deep threes these guys take, it's unreal. If you had taken even one of the shots that Terrence Ross takes in today's NBA in 1985, in 1975, you'd be on the bench. You wouldn't play the rest of the game. That's how it was. It's old school, yes. It's different. It's not worse. It's different. Role players were preached to do things that help your team win. Just do one or two things great, and that is your role, right? 
you don't have to be just a worse version of a star, which a lot of role players are today. They're just exactly. That's a good point. They are just a lot they're of just it. have the same skill set as an NBA superstar. They're just worse at it. Those players were different. Take a Michael Jordan, right? And take, let's see a good example of this. Uh, take a Michael Jordan and even a Dennis Rodman, who wasn't a true role player, right? I mean, he was yeah. a little better than a role player. But mm-hmm. take those two, for example. Dennis Rodman wasn't a poor man's Michael Jordan, but they were completely different players. And there are still guys that exist that are like Dennis Rodman, but they're few and far between. You will not find a lot of guys that aren't score first in this NBA, or at least pass first, or like offense creation, playmaking first. You won't find a lot of guys that aren't like that. Yeah. There are a few, but there aren't a lot. And back then there were a ton. Dennis has a totally different skill set. He works on different drills. He focuses on different things about the game plan. He repairs for the game in a different way. He's preached to do totally different things. And sometimes it looks worse because he's not as great with the ball, right? That's not what he works on. He's not – he can't step back and hit a three. But, boy, he'll rebound your head off. I mean, and, he and, will – with the amount of shots taken today, I mean, he's averaging 20 rebounds. Absolutely. He's averaging probably 25. I'm not yeah, even kidding. I mean, he's averaging a crazy amount of rebounds because of the amount of possessions today. You're right, the pace. And then let's look at something different. So that's role players, right? Just they're taught to do totally different things. So you can't yeah. compare someone that has no offensive game when today a lot of role players don't have any defense. Exactly. Exactly. And can't pass. No, no. And can't yeah. defend and stand in front of a guy and, and can't rebound. Right? A lot of them can't do that. I, mean, think about, I want to just make an example. Sorry to butt in. It's like you've got a guy like Steve Kerr in today's NBA. Great shooter. Come off the pick and roll pop. I feel like he would love playing in today's NBA. Back then he's limited to five shots a game as you saw in the last dance. And he's out there to just kind of just run the floor, get Mike the ball, get out of the way, get ready for your opportunities. Whereas today you've got a guy like Steve who's a great shooter. He would be having a field, like just coming off screens, pull. Like, does that make him worse? No. no it's just different. It's just different. Exactly. Uh, let me, let me use this example. So I was talking about Giannis a little bit uh, to you and in that chat about why I think Giannis would struggle a little more. Uh, and people on my Twitter, Bucks fans are going to hate this, uh, but I think it's true. Why he, would struggle more, why he would struggle more 20 years ago offensively, even 30 years ago than he does today. Uh, because players are schooled on totally different things, right? So if you have a bunch of guys that can shoot threes, all of a sudden the floor is just way more spread inherently. Uh, the rules matter, too. I think that illegal defense obviously meant no zone, but then there was defensive three seconds in the key that wasn't a thing. So you could also – you could be within arm's length of an opponent, but you didn't have to worry about being in the key. So you couldn't just come double Giannis all the time in the key, but you could still be in the key a lot more, a little more, a little more uh, freely in the key. But the biggest difference is that the game then was compact because, well, you weren't schooled to shoot a bunch of deep threes, right? It's not that they, fives not and that, fours. Yeah, it's not that Steve Kerr couldn't run and pull up ten times a game. He could. Uh, but he wasn't supposed to do that. He would have been taken out for that. And that's new school thinking. Uh, and it's analytics and a lot of that stuff. doesn't make the players worse, though. doesn't change anything about that. So if Giannis was playing then, he'd be in a game where essentially just take the floor. It's this big, right? And you just shrink it. You just totally shrink it because you're not guarding someone 25 feet out. So you're inherently just closer in. Players aren't standing eight feet beyond the three-point line because they're not taking those shots, right? Nobody is that deep out. So everything is just packed in. And when you're a guy like Giannis that lives in the paint, that struggles with his shot, inherently they'd be sagged off of him, but they already are today a lot of the time, right? And when he drove, it would be a cluster. It would be a different kind of wall because literally everyone, first of all, they're on a string as a team defensively, unlike today in a lot of ways. Uh, But second of all, they don't care about the outside shot as much, a lot of them, because only two guys on the floor can shoot threes, right? Or only only even one, in some cases, really are going to be a threat from out there. Um... And what you said about Steve Kerr coming off screens and all that stuff, one game I watched that I want to bring up with another guy that could, I think, average literally 25 points in today's NBA, 
like like no problem whatever he's 25 is Vinny Johnson microwave yep you watch him in that in that game and I watched him I think it was the 1988 NBA finals I think it was game one against the Lakers on the Pistons that guy came off the bench and just started chucking I was like this is modern right but he was he was hitting like ridiculous I mean like leaner like off balance weird leaners from 18 feet that were like how did in the world did he put that in uh hitting deep threes uh if he had the green light and he had a green light then if he had the green light that guy like you know uh, any any even lou williams now even lou williams that kind of green light bro sky's the limit like his stats would look so much better and here's a couple things about the old era and the new era point is guys it's not about what they're doing it's about why they're doing it they're schooled in a completely different ball game than today and they're not better they're not worse they're different Exactly. And it, that's what I'm saying. Best era is totally subjective. It, it depends on what you like to watch. Realistically, it really depends on what you like to watch. Are players starting to become a little bouncier, a little bit longer? Yeah, we have this mold in the NBA. It's kind of like this. I feel like guards are getting bigger and the bigs are getting smaller. And then you have the wing guys like your Jonathan Isaac type bills that are long, six, seven long wingspan. Where like, you know, you have, you have people having kids that, you know, you want your kids to be basketball players now. So like you have that. But in terms of like, None of it's so crazy to the point where, like, you put certain guys in each era and they can't play. I really don't think that's the case at all. A lot of guys would. I think, especially offensively. I mean, every, here's the thing. All the great defenders of back then would have a hard time defending now. There's no question with the rules. I'm not saying they couldn't, but it'd be harder. But offensively, they would have, a, like, literally, basically almost anyone. Because for the bigs, they think that they can dominate. Obviously, the game isn't as catered to the big. But they can dominate all these big men. And switches. I mean, could you imagine switches back then on those guys? Oh, my God. Yeah. And then oh you have the guards who have the floor space for them. And I think to your Giannis point, if everyone's saying, Ash, that's just BS, take it for this point, from this point, proof. Giannis has definitely improved his game every year, and I, I respect that a lot about him. Look what happened in 2018 when they had John Henson starting, or like, I think, I don't know if it was Ro- John Henson or someone else. When the floor was compact, the Bucks were a seven seed. Giannis was really good. Look what happened when they got Brooke Lopez and he's standing out there so they can't cheat. Look at how he's done. There's a, there's a reason. And we saw it against Houston the other night in the bubble. It's like in the last possession, a little compact. He's doing that classic Euro he does all the time. Trapped, jump passing, not knowing what to do, not having a pull up to stop on the, on the drive. And that's another thing about the old guys. You're talking about these contested shots. You were saying it to me. The, the, the lack of spacing causes for little to no uh, open shots. They're all contested. All of them are like mid-range cashers, great at finishing around the rim. And you have guys just in their grill for most of the – for most of these uh, possessions and not to mention the stars can't rely on those role players offensively. So the stars have more onus to do stuff offensively as well. And there's less conserving on the defensive end and they're playing more minutes. So there's a lot of factors. A couple more things about back then, the big men, like 10 feet in compared to today, there's no comparison guys. Like you watch Nurkic miss all these layups and then you watch a guy who Nurkic is one of the best centers in the league right now. Right. Yeah. You watch him miss all these and layups on the rim. You know, touch around the basket too. He's not but that touch, terrible. But then you watch, in the eighties, these guys just never miss like, like inside of 10 feet, the best players. Kareem doesn't miss inside of 10 feet, right? Like it's very rare. It's unreal. extremely rare. It's so rare in his prime. Then he got old and he's a different yeah. player, uh, but in his prime never misses inside 10 feet. You never see a team. Unless it's a seven footer or like six in his vicinity, like right by him too. You know what I mean? More easy looks that you still see guys missing ah, today. Easy yeah. ones. Oh yeah. They don't, they don't miss them. Yeah. Like you still miss a tough hook or whatever. You don't miss it, but some of easy looks, they don't miss them. One more thing is the rules obviously are different. It's not just about how they're coached, uh, how, how their style of play is. It's about the rules too, and the rules have changed a lot. Hand checks are a big one. Freedom of movement. You see people on the <laughs> offense running around without contact. Yeah. People, when they're going in the key, they're getting bumped, they're getting held. Like, it's a little yeah. different. The rules are very different. Even 
you go back to like the 60s and 70s, the rules were weaker in some ways. Like you couldn't back guys down. Yeah. Like, and now you, the, the ball handling rules were a lot more stringent. That's why you see Isaiah Thomas, the best ball handler of all time, dribbling with one hand a lot. Because if he starts crossing over a bunch of all this stuff, they're going to call him for a carry. And we talked about the biggest influences on today's NBA. One of them that just changed the whole game is Iverson. Yes. But even before Iverson, you had the N1 mixtape that Iverson watched. And in that same time zone, streetball was huge late 90s, right? Streetball was maybe at its peak, uh, early 2000s, late 90s. And one was huge. Uh, and then it ended up in like Ross and Target and it wasn't a cool brand anymore. Uh, but uh, it was huge back in the day. Uh, when we were coming up, it was like the weird thing to get. Like you get like your shacks or your and ones. You were, you, were, you, were, you were broke, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. but, but back in the day, it was the coolest thing in the world. And they were doing all these moves that if you tried one of those things in an NBA game in the 70s, you get called for a carry. It's just yeah. how it is. And, and uh, that's something we talked about with Lucas as well. So to end it off, after, you know, obviously there's still so much more to see. I'm still, you know, watching games. And once again, watch the full game. It's, it's a process. Keep watching games. Uh, keep noticing these little things that Ash and I are talking about because they're very prevalent. And, like, especially the, the contact off the ball, contact on the ball, con- literally just going through the key as a guard. Like Stephen Curry, you know, if he was running, running around like he does now, he's getting held. He's getting bumped every chance they get in back in the day. So a totally different game. That's why everybody should be compared to their peers. And I think that's the fairest way. So to, to end off on that, give me your, uh, as I say with Lucas, you know, people that I respect their opinions on the history of the game, top five players in your opinion to ever play the game. It's hard. It's really it hard. Is. I, I want to say that I don't no have order. An, you don't even need to give me an order. Just, you know, don't. I don't have, I've watched so much basketball. I think, I think a lot more basketball than most people my age, uh, a lot. Basketball fans even I've watched way more than most of them. And I'm not trying to like flaunt, but I'm still going to say that I'm not educated enough yet to really have the true list. But I will say, here's my list right now. MJ's number one. Uh, number two. See, it already gets really tough. Yeah. Like, what do I go for this? You know what? I'm going to go Kareem. Okay. Uh, number three, I'm going to go Larry Legend. Wow. Okay. Over LeBron. Uh, yep. Okay. And I think I'm going to go, hmm, I think I have to go magic there too, because if Larry's there, magic's there. And then I think I'm going to go LeBron five. Wow. No bill, no bill in your top five. Uh, no, Oh, oh, see, like, now, like, <laughs> like what am I going to do? Like, how do you compare LeBron and Bill, bro? Like, how do you do that? Yeah. Like, that's, like, that's, you can't compare that. Yeah, I mean, especially- I know some people will say to me, like, oh, you can't compare it because Bill has 11. Right? But, like, they're just that, – that's, like – Even the league was how different. LeBron, how do I even start to compare LeBron James and Bill Russell? Like, let's be, yeah. let's be honest. Like, how do I even start to do that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I'm not going to argue. Those, that was a pretty good five. Off the top of my head, bro. I got – I, like, it, there are some guys you just can't compare. I think those first four, like – I would keep that first four. I, I really think those guys are my top four players of all time. Yeah. I mean, you have MJ, Kareem, Magic, Larry. I really think that's true. Yeah, uh, Bill LeBron, yeah, right there. I mean, how do you want to compare them? It's hard. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, that's a, that's a conversation for a different time. But um, I will say, you know, it's something to end off because you and I have a lot of experience playing with each other. We play pickup ball, and we see guys' skill sets and different things. And one of the things I talk about a lot is with LeBron and Harden, even Westbrook to an extent, you have these guys with high assist numbers and everyone says, you know, they always make everybody better. And like, obviously that's been with LeBron for a while because he's always been a pass first guy. People are starting to say, you know, Harden makes people better. And I want people to realize from somebody who's played point guard and like really, you know, loves, you know, seeing everybody thrive around him, getting guys open looks when you dribble constantly is not making them better. And you're somebody who, you know, we played on constant teams at the rec or pickup 
where, or at school, you know, Pally, whatever. Um, you know, my job as when we were playing together, and I consider you the person I probably have the best chemistry with of anyone in this world on the court, is if I was to just give it to you for your open catch and shoot threes, I don't think you would have been as effective. Even though you hold yourself to a high standard as a shooter, I, I need to see, you know, get shots like uh, off the catch, take people off the dribble. Like, you know, maybe one, once in a while, bring it up here and there. See you cutting. It's, it's just so much more than people feeding off of you. And I think that's one thing that you see a lot of the older players have such a greater understanding of because you have a lot of these guys with high usage rates and because the guys are so good offensively and the rules have opened it up for those guys to dominate even more so that back then you just have guys that are making like a guy like Larry, like Mikhail and Parrish don't have to adjust for him. He backs off for them to thrive. And that's a main difference. You know, what's funny, D I'm going to say this about pickup. And I think you're absolutely right that, you know, you have to be a multidimensional point guard, get me different kinds of looks, right? If I'm a scorer and you're a PG. One thing I want to say about pickup, though, that's kind of, it's, it's related, but it's also unrelated. Think about our, our t- conversation about this era and past eras, and then think about it on the pickup court. I love talking about pickup basketball. I think it's a great metaphor for, like, life, everything. It's a great thing to talk about. It's a lot of fun, and I love it. Just, I can't wait to get back to it. It's honestly the, the number one thing in terms of my recreation that COVID's taken away from me that I miss. Yeah. Like, I miss it so much. Me too. Um, and just not knowing people stepping on the court and just playing with them, right? Think about old guys we play pickup with. Because we play in a place in Santa Monica, in L.A., different parks in L.A., where there's a bunch of generations. You'll have a 60-year-old in the court sometimes. You'll have a bunch of 20-year-olds in the court sometimes, right? Think about the way a 50-year-old you play with plays and a 25-year-old you play with plays. Exactly. They don't have the handles that we do. You will never see see a 25-year-old play – like an 80s basketball player on the pickup court, or if you do, it's very rare. A 50-year-old, for example, a good 50-year-old, still can play, right? still can hoop, still can run off the court, even a 45-year-old guy, right? They can still get up and down, still is a good player, and you can see, obviously, was it was nice back in the day, right, uh, like 10, 20 years before. They play a totally different way. They don't ISO. They don't start going crazy with their handles, but they get rebounds. They're always in the right position. They're tough to guard on the block. A lot of the time, these 50-year-old guys that are old, a little strong, they know how to get buckets. They know how to get rebounds. They know where to be. They know how to pass. Uh, there are certain things you see with guys from that generation that have played a lot where they grew up playing a different basketball game than we did. And it's really interesting when you sit on the pickup court because you will just never see an old guy try to take over a game and shoot 15 shots, Not even if they're the best player on the court. Because like, a 45-year-old dude can still ball out right on 20-year-olds. right? They can still be the best player on the court, but you never see them running up and jacking. You never yeah. see them running up and start mixing the hands. Higher basketball and, IQs, man. Different time growing up in a different era. And part of it is, you know, where like you, as you say with the guys like Terrence Ross, they're encouraged to shoot these so many threes. Some of these are not good looks, even though they can make them sometimes. And that's why people say, you know, players today have very low IQs relative to the old. But again, they're encouraged to take these shots because of the time. But what do you think about the last statement I made before we end out about the uh, teammate thing? About what we have with a lot of guys like Harden and these guys that are, you know, giving guys catch and shoot looks, but, you know, have high usage rates. Even Braun, dribble, 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 we were talking about it. I think that with Braun and Harden, and especially with Braun, is the team is so constructed for him that some of the stats and the winning and they're way better when LeBron's on the court gets completely skewed because the, he makes the whole team. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not a secret why J.R. Smith is back in the Lakers. Like, it's not a secret why Danny Green suddenly pops up where LeBron pops up, right? This isn't random. It's not a secret why Ty Lue hopped around uh, back to LeBron. Uh, it's not random. It's because LeBron wants the team this way. And this is the way he has to play, and this is the way he has to win, right? Yeah. That's the way that LeBron's best. Therefore, that's what the Lakers are going to do to appease LeBron and think that that is their best way 
to win basketball games. So when LeBron has a guy in the corner, he's only giving that guy open corner looks. Is that making him better? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, but it's probably it's, making the Lakers better because yeah. that's how the Lakers are constructed. Not, not necessarily because LeBron is making you so much better, but that is how the Lakers are designed to play. And so. the thing is, I, I will say um, on, that, on that point, um, with, oh, you, you look at LeBron's teams and you, say, you see guys, the, like people will say, he's never had that many guys that can create shots on his team. There's a reason for that. Have you not understood after 17 years? Like, there's a reason for that. It's because he's so good at it. He may be the best player in the history of the NBA in terms of just putting four randos on the court. He gets you a good shot. Interesting question for you. I just thought it off the top of my head. Go for it. Do you think the Miami Heat, when they won the championship in 2012, would have been a better team with Chris Paul at point guard or still with Mario Chalmers at point guard? And I don't think it's as easy of an answer as you think it is. And think about it. I, I, honestly, I love Chris Paul. I honestly okay, not Chris Paul. Chris Paul, I know you love Chris Paul, so that's tough. And he was amazing in 2012. He was, like, at the top of his game. Yeah. There's something worse than that because there's, there's a lot of people in between Chris Paul and Mario Chalmers. So let's down the list. A, a, I want the ball in my hands. I want to make plays point guard. That kind of guy. No, I don't think it is because if you look at – if you look at even, even, even though I don't think that Kobe is the type of guy that controls everything, he just has the ball in his hands a lot. You look at when he won championships, you had a guy like D. Fish, three and D kind of situation. Uh, sometimes can play make, but not exactly, but not excessively. Same thing with Mario and Mario. The thing about LeBron and Wade, and it's not just LeBron. People got to give Wade credit too and Spolstra. Chalmers definitely LeBron and, and Wade Bosch. made him better. And, and Bosh and Bosh, but definitely Wade and LeBron made Chalmers better. Like that's a good example for LeBron. He made someone better because Chalmers hasn't proven that without those guys that he can succeed. Um, even though he still had a good season even after Bron left, but at, without the Heat, he has not been able to succeed. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a perfect fit. There's a reason why it's like that. There's a reason why the Heat have a bunch of shooters like Mike Miller and Shane Battier around those three guys. So that's what you need to understand. But Ash, before we, before we close this one out, it's been a really good episode. Uh, since you are in the, in the Twitter world, the sports media world, give everybody uh, where they can find you and your handle and all that. Yeah, at A-L-O-W underscore 33 at Locked on Badgers on Twitter. We have Locked on Badgers podcast covering Wisconsin basketball and football. Uh, not sure what we're going to cover now. Big 10 season is obviously canceled. So that's the big news. Uh, I just put up a reaction episode to that this week. So go check that out. Um, and I'm at badgerswire.com for USA Today Sports. Check out badgerswire.com. We're once again on the beat covering all things Wisconsin basketball and football and even a little bit too around the Big 10. So check it out. Oh, one more. Hit him up with the, uh, the new one. The new one. Brand new. Brand new account. My first love in this world was Pepperdine Basketball. And I finally created something to talk about my biggest passion in the world. That might sound weird to everyone listening because I don't think that's anybody else's biggest passion in the world, but it sure damn is mine. Pepperdine Waves basketball uh, out of the WCC. I just started Roll Waves uh, at waves underscore up on Twitter at waves underscore up. And I'm posting some interviews. I did my first one with Colby Ross. Going to post some more clips from that in the next couple of days. And then hopefully going to get some more members of the team, uh, maybe some members of the coaching staff, hint, hint, uh, to come on. Uh, the show, and I don't know if it's a show. It's just kind of a page. So check that out. Pepper on basketball at Waves Up for sure. And as always, make sure you give me feedback on this episode. I always want to hear what you guys have to say. And we will be back to talk about the playoffs. And you'll likely be seeing Ash again throughout the course of this GSL playoffs. Thanks, guys. Let me know what you think. Peace. <laughs>